The Your Mark on the World show is made possible by our sponsors, including Gate Global Impact. Welcome to Your Mark on the World, bringing you another changemaker with champion of social good, Devin D. Thorpe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the UR Mark on the World show. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. I'm a Forbes contributor covering social entrepreneurship and impact investing. And today we have with us Gary White, who's the CEO of Water.org. And we have an interesting impact investing story here for uh, us today as we talk about water credit and lending to uh, some of the world's poorest people in order to provide them water and sanitation. Gary, welcome to the show. Thanks, Devin. Great to be here. It's great to have you back. We, we talked a little bit about water credit uh, at the beginning of last year, and it's great to have you back to talk a little bit more because you've actually deployed water credit now with more and more people, I think. How many people now have received water credit for the sake of getting either water or sanitation? So we've just crossed over about 3 million people who have now gained access to water or sanitation because they were able to get access to uh, a water credit microloan from one of our microfinance partners. That's incredible. So I mean, 3 million people uh, out of the billion or so that struggle with access to clean water and sanitation is a small step, but, but we're well past pilot stage now, aren't we? Yeah, and I think it's, you're right, it's a massive problem. I mean, we have roughly 663 million people who still lack access to improved water supplies, and, you know, probably two or three times that number who have intermittent supplies that, that aren't really up to standard as well, in addition to 2.4 billion without access to sanitation. So when you're talking about those numbers, you know, with a, with a billion after them, uh, you really have to to look at the system change, and certainly, you know, three million people is is a good start, uh, but that by itself uh, is a pretty small dent in the problem. I think what what we're seeing is that we're not just demonstrating that we can reach three million people; we're demonstrating some of the underlying changes that we can catalyze in the the global financial system, basically, that will allow people who want to become customers and want to have water and sanitation services and are by and large are willing to pay for those services to give them that, that access to capital that they need to, to make it happen for their home. It, it really does change the game potentially here. And, and it addresses this huge need that includes potentially billions of people by uh, changing the way we deliver uh, or at least finance the delivery of water and sanitation to the world's poor. And so this really is a potentially game-changing innovation. Uh, we're still in early days, but tell us a little bit about uh, how it's working. How big are the loans? How are they being repaid? Are, are people diligent? Who are your partners? Just tell us some of the, the details here. Sure, sure. I think it... Uh, it helps to know that uh, so many people are already paying huge amounts of their income to secure the water and sanitation services that they need. Uh, that's the starting point because oftentimes one of the questions is, well, these people are poor. Where do they get the money to, to repay these loans? And the loans can be, you know, in the neighborhood of, you know, a couple of hundred dollars uh, in order to get a water connection 
or to, to build a toilet at your home. Uh, a lot of people have the infrastructure nearby them in these slums where they live, but they can't afford to pay that connection fee to be able to have the right to connect and get a water tap at their home. And so that's really where this happens. And what we do is partner with a network, uh, I think it's about over 40 microfinance partners now that we partner with. These microfinance institutions already have lending relationships with the poor, but they don't have that in the context of water and sanitation. So we work with these MFIs to push out new types of loans for water filters, for the water connections that I talked about, for toilets, for rainwater harvesting. And then people take those loans and then get access to those services, the services that they want. So it's not top-down charity kind of supply-driven approach that's oftentimes failed because people uh, have these services fall into disrepair. This is completely demand-driven because these folks have to repay the loans for these services that, that they secure. So that's really how it works. And what, what happens is that so many people are already paying to secure water, whether it be buying it from a water vendor that sells it in their slums for you know, 10 to 15 times more than if they had a water connection. Uh, people are spending huge amounts of their day scavenging for water right now so they can convert that time into income generating activities and repay these loans. So that's how the whole cycle gets completed. It's taking the vast amount of money that the poor already spend on these informal inefficient services and redirecting it to a much more efficient solution for them that they want so that then they can capture that additional financial uh, uh, outlays that they would have spent otherwise and repay their loans. Well, this, the need to scale this begs the question of the sources of money, not the source of money to the consumer. We know the MFIs are providing that, but where do the MFIs themselves get the money to scale this up uh, really, we're talking about two or three, I guess, three orders of magnitude, roughly, from, from the scale we're doing now. Yeah, so it, it, there does have to be a tremendous amount of capital injected into the system. And uh, right now, the, the MFIs, the microfinance institutions, are securing money wherever they can from commercial banks and investors. And what we see is that as a potential choke point in the system. And so that's why we have engaged social impact investors to be able to provide capital to help them scale this up. And so that was the, the next that we wanted to complete in kind of this financial chain. We knew that the poor would take these loans at the prevailing microfinance MFI rate and repay them at about 98 to 99%. So we knew that part of the chain would work. But this capital flowing in from the top down is what we're trying to, to catalyze further. And we know that there are social impact investors that if they can provide capital to something so basic as people living in great poverty, getting water and sanitation, that they'll forego a market return uh, on that capital. So what we did is we launched uh, our water credit investment fund. And with that social impact investment fund, we raised equity capital that we then are now converting into debt for our microfinance partners so that they can scale up further. And uh, near the end of last year, we closed that fund to investors at $11 million. So we, we raised that much in terms of social impact capital. 
that's targeting a financial return of about 2% a year which you know is more than most savings accounts but you know it's not what you would expect it's not what we would call a risk adjusted return but those investors definitely see the trade off of the social impact that's that's going to have and so they're willing to to invest in that fund and so that's kind of our start at kind of completing this financial chain upstream a bit because we believe the social impact investing space is going to grow very rapidly you know in the coming years and decades and there's tremendous potential to inject that capital into the base of the pyramid water finance sure so now what's the structure on this 11 million dollars if you can tell us is that going to be an evergreen fund or is that uh, does that sort of cycle through one batch of loans that might be a year or 18 months and then get repaid to the investors great question no it's a it's a closed fund it is an equity fund like I said, the targeted financial return is 2%, and it's a seven-year lockup. So the life of the fund is seven years. During that time, we'll get several turns of that capital because uh, most of these loans at the household level are in kind of the 18 to 24-month range. So that'll cycle through several times. The investors in the fund will get that targeted 2% dividend on their investment once a year. And then at the end of the seven years, the uh, the bullet repayment will be made to the investors. Fantastic. I, I love the structure and I'm, I'm grateful that you had the details to yeah. kind of walk us through that model because it is interesting to see all of the different structures that are being deployed in the, the impact investing world. How quickly do you think you can scale this and, and what's the constraint? Is it the ability to deliver water, the ability to deliver finance to the consumers or is it the ability to raise the capital uh, on kind of the front end? Yeah, and and that is something as kind of, you know, this entrepreneurial organization that we are, and as we look into these new areas of innovation and system change, it's often challenging to figure out what will be that rate limiting factor because the whole system is experiencing some new forces on it that it wouldn't otherwise see. Those new forces are like us, drawing in microfinance institutions into the space, us drawing in impact investors. So we're pushing really hard on all fronts. And so the, the question is something that we grapple with here quite a bit. It's like, how much demand do we go out there and really test and generate on the part of the MFIs? Is that you know tens of millions or hundreds of millions? And then if we start setting that in motion, how do we keep up with it versus the impact investors, you know, the social impact investors, what's the the supply over there and we don't want to go out and oversell this either to them if we don't have the deal flow and so right now we feel that probably the most critical choke point is going to be really bringing the impact investors along on this we feel like we have probably around 50 to 60 million dollars in downstream demand for capital at these rates that, that, that we would provide it to, to the MFIs, uh, but we don't know that we have that much supply. And so what we are doing now, we're kind of scoping out a potential $50 million fund that would, that would be on top of the 11 million. And that'll probably look more like a, a debt fund as opposed to an equity fund. And it would be more of an evergreen where we would have uh, money flowing in and out. And you know we think that would probably take 
take us a couple of years to, to fully raise that 50 million. But that's that's where we're going next. We feel like that's probably a good number to aim for to keep that demand and the supply of capital kind of balanced without you know uh, disappointing anybody on either end. Yeah, it, it is a, a, a real trick to manage all of these constraints and, and move the process forward. So, you know, one of the things that uh, we focused on last fall in the development community was uh, the, uh, you know, they have a lot of names, the global goals, the sustainable development yeah. goals, but clearly water is one of the key issues they're focused on. And where do you think we can really get in terms of uh, providing water and sanitation to the world's poor uh, in the next 15 years or so by 2030? Well, I, I think we can really make great strides on that front. And you're right, you know, SDG 6 is access to, to water and sanitation. And, and equally important was the, the additional convening that happened uh, in Ethiopia shortly after that about financing the SDG. And, you know, we had a seat at that table where we were basically providing, you know, more information on, uh, you know, how finance at the base of the pyramid, finance from the bottom up, can contribute to this. Oftentimes, when we look at the SDGs, people are talking about more money from the top down, which we need, but we can also point to these models of the, the, the money from the bottom up, and that, that's a key part of that. And we, we uh, co-authored a paper with the World Bank that kind of highlights this potential and put that out there. We're working with partners like that. So I think that uh, the potential is there if we look at this finance piece. And, you know, during, uh, you know, from 1990 to roughly 2010, uh, you know, another 2 billion people got access to water and sanitation in that time frame. And about the same number kind of climbed out of absolute poverty. And so I think if we were able to do that in that time frame, and we're looking at applying these new tools and, and kind of new uh pressure around water and sanitation, I think, you know, uh, you know, in the next couple of decades, we could probably get access to, to almost everyone uh, in the world. That's exciting to think about reaching that goal. Uh, it, it is such an enabling uh, tool to, to, to make sure that everyone has access to water and sanitation. It, it solves all kinds of health problems and, and lifestyle problems that enable people to make more money and, and be more productive. So it's a huge, hugely uh, important part of this whole uh, millennia or uh, sustainable development goal agenda. So yeah, I appreciate is. you taking a minute to share those insights. Uh, Gary, I want to just take a few minutes with you, if you would, and, and get some personal insights from you. The uh, you have become uh, really a role model to a lot of people. You've been passionate working on water for a long time now, and uh, and the progress, as you point out, has been huge. Who do you look up to as a role model? Who inspires you? Uh, well, obviously, there's there's a I get a lot of inspiration from a lot of different places. Uh, you know, when I travel, people I meet, the people who are trying to to live day to day. Uh, with these issues, and it makes our problems here seem pretty small, uh, you know, and the people I work with that show up every day. But I think if, you know, I can I, I see where you're going with your question. I mean, where, you know, what, one of the people I think about uh, often in, in terms of somebody who who started with very little and accomplished a lot, and I think that's kind of what I'm, I'm looking for is that what's that delta I can be with my life? 
And that's Harry Truman. I mean, Harry Truman, uh, obviously, uh, made it all the way to the president. And he started off with very little, you know, I, I live in Kansas City. Harry Truman kind of grew up in different parts of uh, the Kansas City area. Uh, he was the last president who didn't have a college education. And, you know, it was really basically a dirt poor farmer. And yet, somehow he he summoned all that and was able to to have an impact on the world and ended up you know being one of the most admired presidents in history so i think that that you know coming from the midwest in kansas city you know uh like him you know being a product of, of public higher education you know i don't have a, a big pedigree uh, in the same way that he did and yet i think you can still through the power of your ideas and and the values that you bring to it and the character that you bring, I think he really showed that, uh, you know, don't underestimate him <laughs> in terms of what he could accomplish. So to me, being able to turn that that nothing into something is a real inspiration. Uh, that, that really is inspiring. And I appreciate you sharing him as an example of someone that you uh, look up to as a role model. Uh, certainly he's worthy of that. I, I wonder, Gary, you know, you've been, you, you launched this organization a, a long time ago. Why Why do you care about water and sanitation in Ethiopia or anywhere else for that matter? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you hit on it a little bit earlier, and that is that, that water really underpins everything else. And, uh, you know, when I was an undergrad at university and was trying to figure out, you know, how to apply my engineering education, I mean, I was just really struck by, this this concept of lack of water and sanitation and and to me knowing that that was at one level an engineering problem uh and that i was drawn in that direction to me it was that that intersection of of my passion and what i saw as the world's greatest need and to be able to spend your life focused on that i think is something that that i just feel incredibly grateful for and the ability to continue to innovate and pursue new ideas uh, in terms of, of solving that problem so that people could put water and sanitation in place as that first building block for a better life so that they weren't spending hours every day scavenging for water, so they weren't paying water vendors these exorbitant amounts for water so that they could then put all the other pieces into place. And I think if you look at the SDGs, almost all of the SDGs are cross-cut with access to water and sanitation in order to be able to achieve them. So for me, it was kind of the, the efficiency nerd in me as an engineer. That's like, if I want to apply my life to serving humanity, it seemed like this was the place to get uh, that biggest delta, if you will. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. And I, I appreciate your, your engineering insights to, to look for that opportunity to make a big difference. And I... I I think we can all learn something from that. And and that's a great segue to the next question I have for you. We ask all of our guests for an impact hack, for some tip that can help us to do more good in the world. What would you offer? I think in terms of, of how, you know, impact hacked or in terms of really taking innovation from a concept that, you know, everybody wants to be innovative and everyone, you know, wants to build an innovative organization. But how do you really, how do you live that out? How do you put it into the culture? And that I thought was a great challenge for us because we didn't want it to just be an entrepreneurial innovation organization uh, in word only. And so 
what we did was was create uh, a fund, uh, our new ventures fund, which is basically there to help us fund the next generation of innovative ideas, the things that we think are most promising. As a nonprofit, it's really challenging to raise philanthropy for things that aren't really clearly spelled out to donors. Donors oftentimes want to see the very detailed proposal of exactly what you're going to do with that money, you know, how many people are exactly are going to get water and sanitation, what each thing is going to cost. And we kind of flipped it around and said, hey, we've been doing this, you know, for almost a couple of decades. We want to have an R&D fund. And so give us money <laughs> to go into our new venture fund. And it's a philanthropic fund. It's not uh, a fund that's going to give them a financial return. But, you know, fund the new venture fund, and then we will use that as a working pool of capital to be able to quickly green light new ideas that we want to test and understand if they're, they're going to work or not. And I think that was the key because oftentimes the funding cycle from a foundation can be, you know, 18, 24 months from the time you have the idea until the time a foundation writes the check. And anybody working in R&D and innovation know that, that that timeline just doesn't work. So we've, we've raised about $7 million now in uh, that fund. We've spent a great deal of it already generating new ideas like the investment fund and water capital and water credit expansion. Uh, so that to me, you know, look for ways to really build in a disciplined approach to innovation and look for ways to take the long-term view to make sure that you can put the financial resources in place to, to make that innovation experimentation happen. I think that's brilliant. And I, I really appreciate you sharing that insight because I think structurally incorporating uh, innovation and planning to innovate mm -hmm. is something I hadn't thought through. We, I, I often think of uh, innovation as being a, an event, uh, something that launches an entrepreneur into business, but, but continuing to innovate and building it into the structure. I think that's a powerful insight. And thank you for sharing that. Sure. Here, before you go, tell people how they can, learn more about water credit and water.org well the easiest thing to remember is just info at water.org and uh send us send us a note and we'll give you some links we'll uh we'll answer your questions and we can go from there uh, and would welcome anybody to get a jump on board supporting the organization and or investors that are out there that might be uh looking for a great social return and a modest financial return uh going forward in 2016. Fantastic. Gary, thank you very much for being with us. We wish you every success in this massive project you've undertaken. All right. Thanks, Devin. All righty. Let's do some good. All right. At the intersection of financial services and social media, Gate Global Impact, GGI, uses new market infrastructure to facilitate investments in organizations that deliver a societal, environmental, and or a cause-related benefit in addition to a financial return. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded via Google Hangouts on Air and is available at youtube.com forward slash Devonthorpe. Subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher or iTunes by searching for Your Mark on the World. Every weekday, Devon hosts a CEO, celebrity, entrepreneur or other changemaker here on the Your Mark on the World show 
to inspire and prepare you to make your mark. Devin is a champion of social good, writing about, advocating for, and advising people who are doing good. He is a Forbes contributor who is a recognized thought leader in social entrepreneurship, impact investing, and crowdfunding. To book Devin as a speaker, visit devinthorpe.com. Learn more about Devin's work at yourmarkontheworld.com.